Hello, this is、uh, Dr. Peng Xianqian, the editor in chief of Harvardum. The first paper in November 2022 issue is "Renal Denervation Prevents Subclinical Atrial Fibrillation in Patients with Hypertensive Heart Disease: Randomized Sham-Controlled Trial." This is a single-center randomized sham-controlled pilot trial, including patients in sinus rhythm, but with a high risk of developing subclinical AF. 80 patients were randomly assigned to renal denervation or sham groups. After 24 months of follow-up, subclinical atrial fibrillation occurred in eight renal denervation patients, or 19%, and 15 sham patients, 39.5%. The authors conclude that renal denervation reduced instant subclinical AF events with hypertensive,、uh, with hypertensive heart diseases. The observed effects may occur independent of blood pressure lowering. The second article is、uh, galactin-3 is an independent predictor of post-operative atrial fibrillation and survival after elective cardiac surgery. 475 consecutive patients undergoing elective heart surgery were included in this prospective single-center cohort study. Galactin-3 plasma levels were assessed on the day before surgery. The 200 patients, 42.1 percent, who developed post-operative atrial fibrillation had significantly higher galactin-3 levels during a median follow-up of 4.3 years. 72 patients, or 15.2 percent, died. Galactin-3 predicted all-cause mortality in multivariable Cox regression analysis. The authors conclude that the pro-fibrotic biomarker galactin-3. Is an independent predictor of post-operative atrial fibrillation and mortality after cardiac surgery. This finding highlights the role of the underlying arrhythmogenic substrate in the genesis of post-operative atrial fibrillation. The next uh, uh, paper is machine learning for distinguishing right from left premature ventricular contractions origin using surface electrocardiogram features. A total of 759 patients undergoing radiofrequency ablation or premature ventricular beats were enrolled into the development, or 605 patients, external validation, 104 patients, or post-operative cohort, which includes 50 patients. Machine learning algorithms were used to construct predictive models for the origin of PVCs using body surface ECG features. The authors found that random forest algorithm has improved the accuracy of distinguishing the origin of PVCs, which surpasses four previ-、uh, previous standards, and will be used to identify the origin of PVCs before the interventional procedure. Next up is a confirmation of the achievement of linear lesions using. Activation vectors based on omnipolar technology. The purpose of this study was to examine the reliability and the versatility of a method using activation vectors based on omnipolar technology to confirm the block line. Linear ablation was performed during pacing, with the HD grid caster placed beside the linear lesion opposite the pacing site. The endpoint of complete linear lesion was complete inversion of the activation vectors to the opposite direction. 
in 33 patients, 24 cavo tricuspid isthmus lines, 11 mitral isthmus lines, 16 posterior lines, and two intercavo lines were performed using this method. The authors found that this method can diagnose achievement of complete block line with 100% accuracy, whereas conventional differential pacing misdiagnosed the incomplete block with epicardial conduction in posterior lines in three cases and in mitral isthmus lines in two cases. The authors conclude that confirmation of complete linear lesions using activation vectors based on omnipolar technology is a reliable and versatile method. That paper is followed by a review article titled Cardio Neural Ablation for Vasovagal Syncope, a Systemic Review and Meta-Analysis. The purpose of this study was to provide a freedom from syncope estimate for cardioneural ablation. A total of 465 patients were included across 14 studies. The freedom from syncope was 91.9%. Cardioneural ablation limited to right atrial ablation was associated with a significant lower freedom from syncope versus left atrial ablation only and by atrial ablation. This meta-analysis suggests a high freedom from syncope after cardioneural ablation in vasovagal syncope. Up next is uh, cerebral safety after post-field ablation for paroxysmal atrial fibrillation. National Institutes of Health Stroke Scale NIHSS scores were assessed before and two days and 30 days after PVI for atrial fibrillation. One day after PVI, patients underwent cerebral MRI scanning to document the occurrence of silent cerebral lesions and or events. Pulse-field ablation, or PFA, was performed in 30 patients. No patient showed neurological deficits. All NIHSS scores showed the minimum value of zero. Cerebral MRI scans were normal in 29 of 30 patients, or 97%. In one patient, or 3%, a single 7mm cerebellar lesion was observed. 40 days after the procedure, follow-up cerebral MRI scan showed complete regression of the lesion. The authors conclude that in patients treated with PFA for symptomatic paroxysmal atrial fibrillation, the instance of the MRI detected symptomatic thromboembolic cerebral events or lesions was as low as 3%. No neurological deficits occurred in any of the patients. Next up is 30-day readmission rate of same-day discharge protocol following left atrial appendage occlusion, a propensity score-matched analysis from National Readmission Database. A retrospective cohort study of left atrial appendage closure procedures performed in the United States from 2015 to 2019 was conducted using the U.S. nationwide readmission database. Of 48,953 patients, 972 patients, or 1.99% were discharged on the same day after left atrial appendage closure, and the remaining 47,981 patients stayed at least one night. A propensity score-matched analysis generated 961 matched pairs in each group. The 30-day readmission rate after discharge was similar between the groups. The total required healthcare cost was significantly lower in the same-day discharge group. 
GI bleeding was a major cause for readmission, but stroke and pericardial effusion were rare. The authors conclude that in patients without procedure-related complications, same-day discharge is a safe and cost-effective protocol. The next article is Life-Threatening Cardiac Arrhythmia and Sudden Cardiac Deaths During Electronic Gaming, an International Case Series and Systematic Review. A multi-site international case series of suspected or proven cardiac arrhythmia during electronic gaming in children and a systematic review of literature were performed. 22 patients were identified as having experienced suspected or proven ventricular arrhythmia during electronic gaming. Six or 27% had experienced cardiac arrest and four or 18% died suddenly. A proarrhythmic cardiac diagnosis was known in 7 or 31% patients before their gaming event and was established afterward in 12 or 54%. The authors conclude that electronic gaming can precipitate lethal cardiac arrhythmias in susceptible children. The incidence appears to be low, but the syncope in this setting should be investigated thoroughly. In children with proarrhythmic cardiac conditions, Electronic war games, in particular, are potent arrhythmic triggers. Coming up is a diagnostic utility of early premature ventricular complexes in differentiating atrial ventricular reentrant and atrial ventricular nodal reentrant tachycardias. His refractory PVCs perturbing a SVT established the presence of an accessory pathway. Earlier PVCs may perturb SVTs, but are considered non-diagnostic. 65 consecutive patients with SVT were retrospectively evaluated. Early PVCs were defined when the ventricular pacing stimulus was greater than 35 milliseconds ahead of the his during tachycardia. There were 43 AVNRT and 22 AVRT cases. 14 AVRT cases had an accessory pathway response, while no AVNRT cases had an accessory pathway response. The specificity of an accessory pathway response to early PVC in predicting AVRT was 100%. The authors conclude that an accessory pathway response to PVCs with A1, A2 less than or equal to HIS1, S2 plus 35 milliseconds is 100% specific for the presence of an accessory pathway. Up next is dual AV nodal non-reentrant tachycardia. Various AV conduction responses to AV simultaneous pacing. Five patients diagnosed as having dual AV nodal non-reentrant tachycardia were retrospectively investigated. Atrial pacing could not induce the clinical tachycardia as continuous double firing in any of the five patients. The pacing method of AV simultaneous basic pacing preceding atrial programmed extra stimulation did not allow interruptions of double firing during the basic drivetrains and induced a double ventricular response phenomenon 
within the limited range of the EPTRA stimulus intervals in all five patients. The double ventricular response phenomenon within the limited range of EPTRA stimulus intervals may be based on the existence of the dual AV nodal pathway with concealed retrograde penetration. The authors conclude that the AV simultaneous basic pacing preceding atrial programmed electrostimulation method consistently and reproducibly unmask the existence of dual AV nodal pathway as a double ventricular response phenomenon in patients with dual AV nodal non-reentrant tachycardia. The next paper is the long-term outcome of uh, re a repaired tetralogy of load, survival, tachyarrhythmia, and impact of pulmonary valve replacement. A retrospective study of 1,744 tetralogy of patients who survived total repair from 1970 to 2020 was conducted. Annual risks of tachyarrhythmia sudden cardiac arrest increased to 0.295% and 1.338% in patients aged 10 to 30 and 30 to 60 years, respectively, without sex predominance. Tachyarrhythmia risk was higher in PV repair or PVR patients than in no PV repair patients. The risk was reduced in PVR patients without tachyarrhythmia before PVR. However, survival in patients with ventricular tachyarrhythmia, sudden cardiac arrest, still was better after PVR. The authors conclude that tachyarrhythmia and sudden cardiac arrest occurrence and the need for PVR increased with age during young adulthood. PVR reduced subsequent arrhythmias only in those patients without arrhythmia before PVR. The next is testosterone does not shorten action potential duration in Langendorf perfused rabbit ventricles. The authors performed optical mapping studies in rabbit hearts with or without testosterone administration. Acute studies included 26 hearts. For chronic studies, the authors implanted testosterone pellets subcutaneously in seven female rabbits for two to three weeks before optical mapping studies during complete AV block. Six rabbits without pellet implantation served as controls. The optical mapping studies and QT interval measurements showed no APD or QT shortening in either group of rabbit hearts. In chronically treated rabbits, the ventricular APD80 in the padded group was longer than in the control group at 300 to 700 millisecond pacing cycle lengths. The authors conclude that testosterone does not shorten ventricular repolarization in rabbit hearts. The six differences in QT intervals cannot be explained solely by the differences of testosterone concentrations. Coming up is the genetic basis of sudden unexplained deaths after COVID-19 vaccination in Thailand. The authors aimed to study the genetic basis of sudden unexpected deaths, or SUD, after COVID-19 vaccination in Thailand. From April to December 2021, 13 cases with natural but unexplained deaths within seven days of COVID-19 vaccination were enrolled for whole genome sequencing. 
Among them, 10 or 77% were men, 12 were Thai, and one was Australian. Fever was self-reported in three cases. Whole exome sequencing analysis revealed that five cases harbored SCN5A variants that had previously been identified in patients with Bugatta syndrome, giving an SCF5A variant frequency of 38%, 5 of 13. These findings suggest that SCN5A variants may be associated with sudden unexpected deaths within seven days of COVID-19 vaccination, regardless of vaccine type, number of vaccine dose, and the presence of underlying diseases or post-vaccine fever. These original articles are followed by two contemporary reviews. The first one is titled Postural Orthostatic Tachycardia Syndrome as a Sequela of COVID-19. This review evaluates the current literature available on the associations between COVID-19 and the POTS, possible measurements, patient assessment, treatment, and future directions to improving our understanding of post-COVID-19 POTS. A second review is titled Instance, Management, and Clinical Impact of Tachyarrhythmic Events Following Transcaster Aortic Valve Replacement. The tower has been shown to reduce the arrhythmic burden, but a significant proportion of patients, or 16%, present with complex premature ventricular complex arrhythmias within the year after tower. Whether these events are related to poor outcome is unknown. There is a hands-on article titled Performing Transcaster Left Atrial Appendage Closure, Techniques and Challenges. This issue of the journal also features two research letters. The first one is Anticoagulation Management and Risk of Thromboembolism in Healthy Use with Atrial Fibrillation, data from a multi-institutional PACES collaborative registry. The authors conclude that AF-associated thrombosis is rare in children and young adults, and their data show the large practice variation in anticoagulation management. A second one is titled Smartwatch Failure to Record a Single-Lead Electrocardiogram After Conduction System Pacing, a case series. The authors reported a case series of five patients and described the mechanisms of failure. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. For Hot Rhythm, I'm the Editor-in-Chief, Dr. Peng Shen Chen.